Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the beautiful inland Pacific Northwest of the United States of America. Today is the 2nd of August uh, of 2020, and we're going to get started on, right away on our continuing dissection of mevalonic acid and prenylation associated with carcinogenesis. And that is going to link up to the immune response. And specifically, we're going to talk about T lymphocyte metabolism. So this is now in conjunction with the other series that we've been doing, which is on aging. I told you the two are going to come together. and They're going to be going back and forth between a discussion of T lymphocytes, prenylation, and the whole uh, association of those processes with either the control or the lack of control over oncogenesis, how oncogenesis and aging can be considered contrarian in a living system, right? Unstable, proliferative growth, which would be the beginning of oncogenesis versus a controlled program senescence, or that is a, a, an eventual demise of cellular metabolism associated with a vectorial um, incidence of temporal significance, that is time. So today I'm going to do um, a couple things. First of all, I want to get into this prenatal lipid metabolism, fair amount, because it is a lipid metabolism and I'm a lipid biochemist, so I want to be able to cover that well for you. And uh, then we're going to probably do two or three episodes back to back, all doing audio so I can get through this. Not because I want to go through it quickly, but because there's a lot of information you need to have before we can start talking about clinical associations. All right. So again, I think I told you what the day is. Let's get started. Uh, first paper I'm going to look at very briefly is a journal Cell Death and Disease. This is published in volume 10. It was article 327. It was published in the year 2019, about a year ago. So what is this paper going to tell us? It's going to tell us what we already have been describing. Basically, the cell proliferation and growth are controlled by energy availability, bioenergetics of the cell. Um, also, that amino acids are a classical stimulus for the mTORC pathway, something we just talked about yesterday. And mTOR, of course, stimulates several important anabolic uh, pathways. One is protein translation, okay? The other is lipogenesis, and the third is nucleotide biosynthesis. So that covers most of the ground for a cell to go through its cell cycle. And of course, some of the genes that are turned up or tuned up by mTOR, I told you there's some 800 that are phosphorylated protein level, but some of the major uh, transcriptional events that occur because of that kinase cascade are the synthesis of phosphoribosyl pyrophosphate because of the oxidative pentose phosphate pathway utilizing glucose 6-phosphate, um, a shunt off of glycolysis. So you're gonna need a lot of glucose to be able to run that to make ribose 5-phosphate, then PRPP, and then that's going to trigger allosterically pyrimidine biosynthesis. And whenever you get pyrimidine biosynthesis, you get purine biosynthesis. And those are the two nucleotides that make up, of course, all the nucleic acids. So um, the other thing that mTOR does, we talked about just yesterday, was that it inhibits an autophagy. It does it through a phosphorylation of a protein called ULK1 and a canonical series. So um, there's one other transcription pathway that I haven't talked about. It's the HIPPO pathway. And I did talk about that a couple, oh, not a couple years ago, maybe about 10 months ago. 
So we'll, I can go back and revisit that, but just remember HIPPO pathway and AMP activated protein kinase. Um, what those, both of those systems are activated during glucose starvation. Uh, that includes any overall cellular energy stress, for example, glucose withdrawal. What it does is it induces a phosphorylation of a protein called YAP, Y-A-P, uh, and it gets that protein, once it's phosphorylated, to be uh, cytoplasmically localized. That then allows for YAP to be proteosomally degraded. Now, as a key transcription factor that induces cell growth and proliferation, YAP needs to be in the nucleus, and because YAP is pulled out of the nucleus upon phosphorylation and degraded, you, do, you then dysregulate uh, the anabolic pathway because you have conditions of cellular energy stress. Now, the mevalonic acid pathway, which leads to de novo cholesterol genesis, is regulated by two important enzymes, uh, hydroxymethylglucose synthase and HMG-CoA reductase. And that leads to basically the conversion of acetyl-CoA to mevalonic acid, uh, or MVA. That's the first stable product. That's why it's called the mevalonic pathway. Now, we have talked several times before, and I hope you recall that statins have been shown to suppress the proliferation of cancer cells. However, um, they also provide an increased uh, um, contraction of type 2 diabetes. So while statins, of course, they lower cholesterol by inhibiting HMG-CoA reductase, Unfortunately, one of the other things that uh, statin chronic use has been associated with is this um, potential to uh, develop type 2 diabetes. So it's not normally talked about, uh, but it is something that uh, can occur up to about 10%, maybe even 20% of people that are on uh, statins. Now, as I said, statin suppress the nuclear localization and transcriptional responses of YAP. There's another protein called TAS, T-A-Z. And those does, you don't need to worry about exactly what they do right now. Just understand their transcription factors and their influence by energy metabolism. So the, the MBA pathway may function as a mediator to coordinate nutrient uptake and cell proliferation. And so far, we're pretty sure that we're pretty confident that's what's happening. Now, MVA appears to be an essential metabolite for cell growth and proliferation. And you can determine that via transcriptome and proteome analyses. So you get transcription and you get translation of those transcripts that reveal that MVA is involved in an activated cell growth and proliferation because of what those gene products are. In fact, MVA promotes glucose and amino acid uptake which, of course, I just told you, orchestrates cell proliferation through the mTORC system. In fact, cancer, such as colon carcinoma, has an increased mevalonic pathway. And you get an increased expression of HMG-CoA reductase and HMG-CoA synthase 1. And with the expression of those genes, you get subsequent cell proliferation and more nutrient uptake in the colon carcinoma system. So... What it looks like is that with energy sufficiency, you get a decrease in AMP kinase, which allows for an increase in the sterile response element binding protein, which elevates the expression of transcriptional level because of chromatin remodeling, the HMG-CoA synthase and the HMG-CoA reductase. And what that does basically is convert 
uh, ultimately acetyl-CoA to mevalonic acid. Once you make mevalonic acid in the energy sufficient system, you turn on wind signaling, which then allows for YAP and TAS to be uh, activated via the mTOR uh, transcriptional pathways, and that activates cell growth. So at the same time, you get glucose and amino acid uptake, and those are the important uh, bioenergetics for that system. Now, during energy stress, you get the uh, contrarian event. You get an increase in AMP kinase that decreases the sterile response element binding protein, which, of course, is involved in the transcriptional regulation of those two key genes, the cholesterol genesis, the HMG coy synthase, and the HMG coy reductase. So you get a diminishment of the synthesis of HMG-CoA and mevalonic acid is diminished. So all those subsequent downstream pathways are turned down, wind signaling. I told you YAP is degraded in the cytosol because of its phosphorylation because of AMP kinase. Pathway shuts down in terms of energy metabolism. Glucose uptake is reduced, amino acid uptake is reduced. You get energy deprived and the immediate result of that is cell growth arrest. So, Let's do a review of T lymphocyte regulation by mevalonic acid metabolism. Um, I'm going to do that by using, by borrowing quite significantly from a paper published in Science Signaling on the 31st of March, published in 2015. This is volume eight, issue 370. So what do I want to say here? Now, okay, we've done a very brief overview of the MVA. Now we're going to go into a deep dive. So... Strap on and get ready. Signaling through the T-cell receptor, we call the TCR, serves as a paradigm for how cell surface receptors translate extrinsic cues into a cellular response. It's a canonical feature of the TCR. And just as much as the TCR, another canonical feature of it is the fact that it's a result of recombination, homologous recombination events. Um, the metabolic regulation of T-lymphocytes as a consequence of TCR stimulation is obviously well-developed, the paradigm in lymphocyte-acquired immunity. It's increasingly appreciated T-cell activation results in metabolic reprogramming, and that's a distinct, uh, that, uh, a distinct function of that reprogramming is to activate the T-cell functions. And that then gives you uh, the ability to recognize antigens presented by the HMC class one of the dendritic cells working through the TCR receptor. And then you get a full induction of the acquired immune response, first with T cell responses, and then subsequently plasma cell, B cell to plasma cell transformation, and then the production of antibodies. Now, in contrast to resting cells, which pursue an efficient accumulation of ATP, activated T cells have to ensure a high metabolic flux through anabolic pathways to acquire a specific molecular repertoire. So what is that repertoire? Well, let's go through that now. Stimulated T cells. Okay, so this is what we're talking about now after you get a response, right? Um, they use, sorry, they use oxidative phosphorylation via the carbon sources aerobic glycolysis to meet all those requirements because glycolysis produces several metabolites of course which are going to be used for biosynthetic purposes such as the nucleotide metabolism i just told you about so an interrupted tca cycle 
it's going to lead to acetyl-CoA use for fatty acid uh, uh, production and the growth-promoting mevalonic acid pathway, right? So when you build up a lot of acetyl-CoA because of pyruvate dehydrogenase and pyruvate carboxylase, yielding acetyl-CoA and OAA respectively, thus turning on the TCA cycle, you're going to get fatty acid synthesis and you're going to get cholesterologenesis. So you're going to get a lot of mevalonic acid pathway in, uh, in immediates. And you remember some of those, such as the farnesyl pyrophosphate and the geronogenerator pyrophosphate, are going to be used then to covalently modify proteins that are going to be triggering a whole host of other anabolic responses, right? So it turns out mevalonic acid metabolites regulate T cells at many different levels, both as cell intrinsic and cell extrinsic metabolic queuing. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So quiescent T cells, like any other non-proliferating cell, gives you a relatively low level of glycolysis, and yet they fully oxidize glucose-derived pyruvate or fatty acid-derived acetyl-CoA, right? So the process then drives oxidative phosphorylation because you make a lot of NADH and FADH2. That maximizes the amount of ATP that can be generated from any of those substrates, particularly glucose or fatty acid, right? So in contrast, activated T cells have a substantially increased demand for metabolic resources because they have to perform effector functions. So all the TH cell lineages are T effector cells, remember? So um, they would accumulate for cell growth and, uh, and cell biomass. And you also have to be able to generate daughter cells, right? You have to get cell division. So upon TCR stimulation, Fatty acid beta oxidation is markedly decreased and the amounts of glucose and amino acid transporters are increased on the T cell surface to facilitate nutrient uptake. Now you might think fatty acids would be a better way to go because you can get more ATP um, per carbon oxidized. But the problem with that is the T cells can't store a lot of triacylglycerol. Triacylglycerol is gonna be the biofuel that after lipase-mediated fatty acid release, you would get the beta-oxidation uh, going through the carnitine palmitoyl transferase system and then ultimately the oxidation of fatty acids down to acetyl-CoA and making all the NADH and FADH2 along the way. Problem with that is that T-cells don't store a lot of tag, and then you have to deal with lipoproteins delivering or going through the CD36 pathway for free fatty acids, delivering to the T-cells that's just not very efficient because you need a rapid amplification of T-cell response. So the T cells go for the immediate water-soluble um, energy compounds, glucose and amino acids. That triggers the whole response. So upon TCR stimulation, I said, beta oxidation of fatty acid tanks. Transcription factors C-MYC and estrogen-related receptor A are increased in abundance during TCR immediate activation, and they control that some of the elements of metabolic reprogramming in the T cell. Although activated T cells still engage in oxphos, um, glycolysis becomes really the prevailing pathway, even in the presence of molecular oxygen. It's, so it's aerobic glycolysis, and it's kind of like the Warburg effect in tumors, but it's not the Warburg effect because it's not a tumor system, these are T cells. So it's long been thought that the metabolic demands of T cell proliferation force that switch from oxidative phosphorylation to make ATP 
to simply using aerobic glycolysis. So in proliferating cells, glycolysis derived pyruvate enters a TCA cycle, and citrate is exported to the mitochondria to the cytosol, where ultimately it's converted back to acetyl-CoA and OAA by the uh, ATP citrate lyase. In that way, the acetyl-CoA is increasingly made available not only for fatty acid biosynthesis, which is cytosolic, but also for mevalonic acid metabolism, of course. Those are the two main lipid pathways, right? Acylipid and prenolipid, respectively. So the diversion of citrate for the biosynthetic purposes that I just talked about bears the risk of doing something really important. It can collapse the TCA cycle, okay? Now, if that happens, you're going to have, you're going to, have to have glycolysis functioning uh, to provide the energy that you need, right? And this is precisely what happens. So to avoid this, activated T cells, it can't just use glucose, right? They also have to use amino acids. And so one of the key amino acids is glutamine. And so you get glutamine oxidation and you get glycolysis in activated T cells, okay? So when you utilize glutamine, we call that glutaminolysis. And that represents, of course, a metabolic shunt that can do what? Converts glutamine to glutamate to alpha-ketoglutarate. The alpha-ketoglutarate plugs right into the TCA cycle. Now, in addition to all that, reductive alpha-ketoglutarate, that's the reverse of what occurs in the TCA cycle, with a subsequent synthesis of citrate and then acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm of activated T cells, can also serve to fuel mevalonic acid metabolism. Okay? And that can happen preferentially even under hypoxic conditions. So see, the T cells are doing a lot more sophisticated manipulation around the TCA um, paradigm. You're able to take glutamate and make alpha-KG, but you could take alpha-KG and use it to synthesize citrate. So you're going backwards in the TCA cycle so that because of the buildup of NADH, and the reason that that's functioning is because of transcriptional regulation and allosteric regulation. But you see, you're also capable then of driving mevalonic acid biosynthesis and not necessarily also fatty acid synthesis because those are two different lipid lineages, right? So basically, glucose is taken up. Glucose 6-phosphate is converted ultimately to pyruvate to make some lactate. The, the pyruvate is sent into the mitochondria where you make acetyl-CoA and also oxalacetic acid via the carboxylase. Citrate then can go to alpha-KG. Alpha-KG can complete the cycle or you can build up enough citrate to send it back out into the cytoplasm. And when that occurs, you're feeding that same pathway, okay? Now outside the mitochondria via the glutaminolysis system. So here you're getting glutamine converted to glutamate cytosolically, glutamate making alpha-KG, which I just told you can flood into the mitochondria, or there's a reductive carboxylation of alpha-KG to citrate in the cytosol. That's going to build up more citrate, more acetyl-CoA, generating both mevalonic acid, which includes final products of farnesyl pyrophosphate, geronyl pyrophosphate, isoprenoids and cholesterol as terminal products. Also, some of that acetyl-CoA can be used for making fatty acids. So you get how glutamine, glutaminolysis, when you start using glutamine, 
can trigger back into the TCA cycle in the mitochondria to keep the cycle going. So you continue to oxidize pyruvate because you got to take pyruvate to acetyl-CoA. Pyruvate, again, remember, it's coming from the glycolytic pathway. That's where your energy is. But the TCA cycle isn't so much involved in energy anymore as it is in just moving carbon around. So you can make a lot of mevalonic acid pathway products such as those prenal lipids, and you can also make some fatty acid. So this is how activated T cells get to work. So remember, citrate uh, can yield acetyl-CoA, and uh, you also can get free acetate converted to acetyl-CoA via acetyl-CoA synthetase. Uh, citrate via the ATP citrate lyase will make acetyl-CoA. You've got two different pathways here. You've got the SREBP2 pathway. That's going to lead to acetyl-acetyl-CoA. Then the next enzyme is HMG-CoA synthase to make HMG-CoA. Then the reductase, which is going to use NADPH. Where are you getting the NADPH from? I told you last time you can get it from the oxidative pentose phosphate shunt. You can also get it from the malic enzyme. That'll make NADPH. Also, um, you can get it from uh, 6-phosphor. Okay, so from those two the two key OPP enzymes, right? 6-phosphogluconate dehydrogenase and glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, right? Those are the two that are going to give you NADPH from the OPP. And the malic enzyme is the third source. That NADPH is used in the HMG-CoA reductase to make mavalonic acid. Then there's a series of enzymes, mavalonic kinase, phosphomavalonic kinase, mavalonate uh, PP-decarboxylase, geraniol pyrophosphate synthase, isopentanyl pyrophosphate isomerase, baronacyl pyrophosphate synthase, and squalene synthase, making squalene. This is all de novo cholesterol genesis. And squalene goes through an epoxidase and then a lanosterol synthase and a CYP51. All of that requires NADPH. That will lead to cholesterologenesis. At the same time, the acetyl-CoA can be carboxylated as long as you're not increasing AMP kinase here. And it's going to make MAL-CoA. MAL-CoA also requires NADPH for fatty acid synthase, long-chain fatty acid elongation to saturated fatty acids. You make steroid-CoA desaturase, converting it to oleic acid. That's going to give you monounsaturated fatty acid. That also requires an NADPH. Ultimately, fatty acyl-CoAs can be converted to uh, glycerol-3-phosphate pathway intermediates via the glycerol-phosphate acyl transferase enzyme. That's leading to the Kennedy pathway, making it either phospholipids or triacylglycerol. So I know that's a mouthful, but I want you to get an idea of how this carbon can flow into lipogenesis. So in mirroring T cells, T cell receptor stimulation is sufficient to induce expression of the genes encoding, encoding the HMG-CoA synthase and the HMG-CoA reductase. And so, again, just to remind you, HMG-CoA reductase gives you mevalonic acid, and that's the, that enzyme is what is inhibited by statins. The next enzyme for, in the pathway is mevalonic kinase that makes mevalonate phosphate. Then there is a phosphomevalonate kinase making mevalonate pyrophosphate. Then there's, a then there's a decarboxylase, and that makes IPP. That's the isopentanyl pyrophosphate. The C5 carbon is going to make all the rest of the building blocks uh, in prenolipid metabolism. So you can also, you have to convert some of the isopentanyl pyrophosphate via an isomerase to dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate, DMAP, 
So DMAP then starts adding back with IPP. That does with UC5, so you make a geronyl pyrophosphate. You add another IPP, and you make pharmacyl pyrophosphate, right? And then uh, onwards all the way, you can make ubiquinones. You can add another IPP there to make a C20, which is the geronyl, geronyl pyrophosphate I told you about. So that's how you get protein pharmacylation from the pharmacyl pyrophosphate. Then you get geronyl, geronylated proteins via this additional... C5 addition with IPP. You make ubiquinones like uh, coenzyme Q10 from the pharmacyl pyrophosphate. And ultimately, from the squalene synthase, you can make cholesterol and then oxysterols. And that includes steroids, bile acids, and even vitamin D. Right? So it's a very um, gravid, florid pathway. So I want you to get an idea here. This is all going on in the T cells. It's all going on in the T cells. It's really important for you to understand. So the induction of the lipogenic program in activated T cells occurs at sub-mitogenic concentrations. Uh, so that's really important to understand. You don't need co-stimulation necessarily. Pharmacy pyrophosphate synthase condenses that DMAP with one IPP molecule to form the geronyl, geronyl, geronyl pyrophosphate, which is the C20 and a GPP with a second IPP to form uh, a just plain old C15, right? Pharnacine pyrophosphate, pharnacine pyrophosphate is a common substrate for many of the biosynthetic branches I just told you about. Cholesterol, steroids, ubiquinones, prenylated proteins. Squalene epoxidase is the one that's necessary as an oxygenation step for sterile biosynthesis. It's kind of a rate-limiting enzyme for that um, at tail end of the pathway. So you need cholesterol for this entire system. Cholesterol is an essential component of membranes. It maintains the selective permeability and microfluidity for the T cell membrane to function. Cholesterol is also essential for lipid raft formation along with ceramide. And that's, specialized, that's basically a specialized microdomain in the plasma membrane that's used for the assembly of what? Signaling molecules like the T cell receptor. So the requirements for cholesterol cannot be overstated. You need a lot of cholesterol availability for the cell proliferation, cell cycle progression, as well as activated T cell lineages. So hopefully I gave you enough of the initial background for us to be able to pursue this um, with the next couple of lectures. I really want to get into how the, the MBA pathway, the mevalonic acid pathway is really critical for T cell activation priming, and then all the subsequent downstream um, T-cell-mediated immune response. The reason we're doing this again is so I'm linking together what's going on with cell proliferation, which can ultimately lead to an oncogenic event, and also to an immune response, which can control ultimately an oncogenic event and also control infection. At the same time, we're going to link that into aging, right? That's the key feature here that I'm doing with all of these different strands of intermediary metabolism. So I'm going to stop here because I don't want to get into the next huge discussion section. So I'm going to say this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you, of course, from Authentic Biochemistry. And it's the second uh, day of August in 2020. And bye for now.